hard for me today, the message today, I, I know many of you are in a spot where you could just use a good word of encouragement. And this message is not that. So I really need you to listen to the Lord today. Uh, the Lord has really been speaking to my heart. And I, I think I know what I need to do, and I don't think I know what we need to do, but I don't know how to get there. And so you're going to have to trust the Lord to help us get where we need to get so that we can really hear what he has for us this, this good day. So the message today is Sunday School Answers, and the, the answer today is sin. Today we're going to talk about sin. I don't know that we really talk about it in depth as much as we probably should. Let's look together. If you'd like to get in your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 3, again, one of the most familiar stories of sin. We're going to look at the original sin a little bit today. But I, I hope that, I just hope that you'll get a picture that we need more than anything. We need to see the Lord. If we will see the Lord, the other things will take care of themselves. If you'll hang on as well, if you, if you get really down and depressed after the message today, I believe next week we're going to be looking at grace. That's the one you were hoping for today. Hang on a week. All right. But let's look together. It's really important that we get a hold of this idea and this simple Sunday school answer of sin and how it is at work in our world today. Again, some familiar verses, Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 4, go through verse 6 as we get started. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. You guys, you know the story. We'll start off with this quote from C.S. Lewis. It's really good. And I think, again, a reminder of this picture of sin. A world of nice people content in their own niceness, looking no further, turned away from God, would be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world and might even be more difficult to save. Do you believe that? Let me say it in a very simple, clear way. Again, please, please take this with all gravity. This is not a joke. This is not light. Do you believe that nice people without Jesus are going to hell? Do you really believe that? We all have people that we love that are... Some are so kind and they're considerate. They're better than we are in some of those areas, aren't they, right? They're loving, they're genuine, but they have rejected the gift of Jesus. And I think sometimes we think, well, God's got an exception clause for them. I think we feel that way. And today I want you to look at this picture of sin. And C.S. Lewis is trying to share that very simply with us. A world full of nice people without Jesus is still a lost world. It's still people missing on the most unbelievable treasure that's in store if they neglect the gift of the Son of God. 
Today, again, we're looking at a Sunday school answer in a subject which I would say, if you really want to talk about it, probably most of us have been experts in this subject since the day we were born, and that is this idea of sin. Now, the times that we live in still understands evil, don't they, right? I think you could talk to most people on the street and say, does evil exist? Would you get a yes for most of the time? I think most people would say, yes, there is still evil in the world. But what I am seeing, again, this is some penology this morning. You measured out with the word of God and the, the way you see the culture is we are living in an age that more and more is abandoning the idea of sin. People, the young people that I'm around are getting rid of the idea of sin. And the reason is, is because everything is so personalized. You be you, let me be me. We talked about this a little bit last week. Your truth and my truth. There's no real absolute truth. It's just what you feel, what you think. And when you start going down that path, that relativistic path, you're going to get rid of the idea of sin, and you're going to end up in a place where there is no truth. And this goes directly against the word of God. And that's why this three-letter word today is so important. Now, when the Lord put this on my heart earlier this week, and you have to understand, I think Paul and Ray, I don't know, Ray's such a nice guy, I don't know if he's ever felt this way. <laughs> but preachers sometimes get in a place where they get frustrated with themselves. They get upset with themselves. And you can resolve that in a couple ways. One way is you can really get on your knees before the Lord and confess your sin. And the other way is you can yell at the people that come to church on Sunday in your frustration. And I started thinking about everybody's sins. How would you feel today if I would start going through and naming the sins of the people in the room or what I thought were the sins? Who should we start with this morning? Any volunteers? I get frustrated sometimes with the world, and I, I'm echoing what we've heard a little bit this morning about our own country. We need to pray for our country, and sometimes watching the news just makes you angry, doesn't it, right? It can do that to you. But then what happens to me usually is the Lord starts to turn that on me and says, you're upset about the world's sin. What about your sin, Brother Penn? And so then what I do is, well, it's not just me. Let's look around the room, right? If Wendy would get her act together... Wendy's pretty good. But what, what happens is I start to look and realize, look at all the materialistic, look at all the apathy, look at all the indifference to eternal things, and you just start to get angry. And my initial thing was, as I was going on this path, was like, I'm going to just lay into people today. And the Lord, he corrected me, which he does usually in a good time, thankfully for you, right? <laughs> And yet today, so I think what I want you to hear today, and I think I've got an answer of where we need to go, but we need to get a grip on this idea of the reality of sin. A few things I hope you'll take away with you today. First thing, sin is not some made-up term or idea to help people to be good. Hear this clearly. Sin is trespassing against the most holy being in the universe. God didn't just give us this idea so he would tell us you know, what to avoid, so everything would be happy and good. 
When we sin, we trespass against the most holy being universe. Second simple thing this morning I want you to take away today. You cannot solve your sin problem. Hear me out. We have all these self-helps, all these speakers and people that would tell you how you can be better. You can make this choice. You can fix this. And I'm telling you today, if you know the scriptures, you cannot solve your sin problem. Only one person can solve your sin problem, and he's risen from the dead. Amen? Today, if you're battling a sin problem, quit saying, and we've said this a thousand times in the whole Stuck series, you can't do it on yourself. You can't do it on your own. I'm not telling you to walk out of here today and say, well, I'm just going to be better. I'm going to be better about sin. That's not at all what I'm saying. You need Jesus. That is the message today. Again, your only way out of the sin problem is Jesus. He's our only hope, and that's why he is the real answer today. We can call out everyone else's sins, but until any of us come to Jesus, we will still be lost. Third simple thing today in the good news, salvation and redemption is available to anyone and everyone who would acknowledge their sin and surrender their life to the Savior. I don't care. Preacher, you don't know what I did. I don't care. You don't know what was in my heart. I don't care. You don't know how badly I wanted to destroy or hurt or tear apart. You don't know the depth of my wickedness. I don't care. Jesus died that the most wicked could be redeemed. And you guys, when we go out of this building this week, we might run into some pretty wicked people. And our first response could be tempted to just be anger and to destroy them or tear them down or lock them out. But we need to be mindful that Jesus died, that they could be redeemed. Amen? Simple things. Simple things. All right, here's where we're going to get started today. Again, bear with me. I'm kind of going to weave in a little bit, but I think you guys should be used to that by now. If we're going to really understand sin, this is where we have to start. And again, I feel so inept at sharing this today, but we can get there hopefully eventually. If you want to understand sin, the first thing you've got to know is that God is holy. God is holy. If people are going to understand sin, they must know that God is holy. But unfortunately, too many times, even in the church, we are more me-focused than God-focused. And here's the deal. When you encounter a holy God, your sin becomes crystal clear. We need to get to the place where we are encountering the holy God more often. Again, we can't work up anything. It's got to be the Spirit of God. But we've got to lift up God to be seen. Because when God is seen, guess what happens? All of a sudden, sin becomes evident. And people either rebel or they submit to the Lord. But we are so inwardly and self-centered that God's not getting the, the true limelight he deserves. What happened when Isaiah saw God? You guys know this, right? Isaiah chapter 6, let's look briefly. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3. The scripture says, and the, they were, the seraphim, the angels, they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. 
What would it be to encounter the presence of God? These are the angels speaking that are causing the thresholds to shake the ground. Isaiah's in the very presence of God. And what does he do? Oh, God's my buddy. He's got my back. This is great. He'll be there for me. He's just kind and generous. I love this. I'm so glad I could be in his presence. Is that what Isaiah responds? Is that a response to a holy God? Look what he says. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. What happened in the Old Testament when people thought they saw God? What was their next thought? Exactly, Michael. They thought they would die. That's because they had a, a, a glimpse, a grasp of a holy God. I'm telling you today, our God's the man upstairs. He's my buddy and my pal. He's Santa Claus and gives me what I want. And if we don't get a picture of the one true God, people are not going to understand sin and they're not going to seek redemption. Huh, I could use a buddy, that's fine, but I, you know, whatever, it's okay. That's not the way that the Lord presents himself to us in the word of God. We need a picture of a holy God. We need to pray that we would encounter the holy God, and that the people in our lives would encounter him, and if he chooses, that they would encounter him through us. We need to pray that God would enable our church to be a place where people encounter a holy God, and that we would do all within our power to make God known. We need to lift up Jesus, right? What did he say? If, I lift, if I'm lifted up, I will, what? I will draw all men unto me, right? If we lift up ourselves, our kindness, our goodness, what we think, our good teaching, it's not going to be what it has to be. We've got to lift up God. Again, you be praying this morning, Lord, what is it for me and my role to help us lift up God? Technology here this morning, our society has no fear of God because they do not know him. And because of this, there is no need for the term sin, because who are we offending except ourselves? Are you tracking with it? If I don't know a holy God, I don't need the term sin because there is no such thing as sin. Second thing here, again, bear with me, we're getting there. God is holy, and here's because God is holy, he demands perfection or payment. Since God is truly holy, he can, cannot stay in sin. It cannot be in his presence. Sin must flee from him. And since God is holy, he demands perfection. And that's where the problem is, right? Anybody perfect here today? Anybody close? By the way, close doesn't count with the Lord, right? Again, we don't get this picture. Our people in our community and our culture don't get this picture because we don't understand a holy God. But if God is holy, he can't stand sin and sin around him will be judged, it will be punished. So either you give me perfection or you give me the payment, one or the other. And here's what I wanna share again because we don't talk about it enough. The payment for sin is the wrath of God. We don't, we don't talk about this. Romans chapter one, verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's a New Testament scripture, by the way, not an Old Testament one, in case you're one of those people that likes to say, oh, well, that was Old Testament. God is revealing his wrath against unrighteous and wicked people. That's biblical. 
We're going to talk about grace next week. God's love and his benevolence is amazing, but God is also a God of wrath. And our community and our culture and the people we love and work with, many of them do not ever see this picture of God. What is to come? Revelation chapter 6, verse 16. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. The wrath of Jesus is coming against wickedness. Do you ever hear that very much? That's what the scripture clearly teaches. The people in the book of Revelation prophetically hear what they are saying is, please come and kill us because I'd rather be killed than experience the wrath of Jesus. Is your mind working yet this morning? That doesn't quite fit with a lot of the picture of Jesus that we have, right? We think of Jesus as kind and courageous and selfless, and when he comes, he'll just gather up all his loving children. And here we're reminded biblically that people who forsake the gift of God, the Son of Jesus Christ, they would rather be killed by the rocks than experience the wrath of the Lamb. I didn't make that up. That's the scripture, people. We need to understand a holy God. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. I get a reminder for us to seek holiness. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, what's coming? The wrath of God. God is coming. Again, please, I'm just trying to step out of the way here this morning. You look in the word of God and you measure this. But do you see that vengeance and wrath is coming for sin? We can kid ourselves that there's no real such thing as sin and that you can be you and I'll be me and I'll have my truth and you'll have your truth. And the bottom line is every soul here and every soul outside these walls will be judged by a holy God. And the very first question is, what did you do with the gift that he gave you? His son, Jesus Christ. We need to grab hold of this truth. You can deny it. You can set it aside. You can pretend it's not real. But the wrath of God is coming, and it's coming for sin. It was pictured in the sacrifice of a lamb for Israel over the doorpost. It was pictured in the crucifixion of the very son of God. So don't say that God didn't warn you or tell you how serious sin is to him. We need a better picture of God, and we need it urgently. All right. God is holy. God demands perfection or payment. We are what? We are sinners. You and I were born sinners, and so let's take just a brief look this morning about the way that sin works in our life. Did God really say? That's what a lot of times we say, don't we? Look at Genesis chapter 3 in verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may not eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But verse 3, did God say, God did say, excuse me, you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden. And you must not touch it or you will die. Now, we all know the stories of the snake in, in children's church or a lot of times Sunday school, it was an apple. We didn't clarify the fruit. But notice the subtlety of the serpent. How does the devil show up? Was Eve afraid of the snake? 
You put Mrs. Penn on a kayak on a river and let her see a snake, and you will see how we should respond to sin. Okay? But when the snake showed up to Eve, that, that fear wasn't there yet, was it? Because the snake was a creation. At the time, it probably still had its legs. And at the time, again, this is some penology. You go down this trail later on. Was the, Somehow the snake was able to communicate to Eve, and that really wasn't a question for her. If a talking snake comes to me with legs, I'm out of here. <laughs> but the devil shows up not as the scary, evil, wicked dragon that's going to kill and destroy. But he comes nice and, hello, Eve, good morning. How are you? Oh, boy, doesn't that, that looks delicious, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. And you realize that's how the devil works with sin in your life, right? You guys, he's had thousands of years of experience. He knows every inclination for temptation. He's way smarter than you. But he's not smarter than Jesus. Right? Be careful and look out for the subtlety of the serpent. Notice this as well. Eve was by herself. Sometimes we have to be by ourselves. But isn't that the best time for the devil to attack? We've been through this enough times in different studies and series. We know that when we get down, many times we like to isolate. Amen? Hey, I'm not feeling great. Just don't really want to talk to anybody. Let me just stay in my bed today. Even today, you guys, there's people in our congregation, our church family, who are battling this very feeling. It takes every ounce of energy they have to get up out of that bed and to get with people. They'd rather just isolate. And the devil loves you isolated because you're a lot easier, aren't you? Notice that. Notice that the devil attacks God's word. Did God really say? And that's what he does to you, doesn't he? Boys and I had a conversation this morning. In the Bible, where does it say about cursing? The Bible doesn't say that, does it? We had a little conversation. If you look in Ephesians chapter 4, 29 sometime, you can check out what the Lord has to say about your language. <laughs> Did God really say? And that's what he does for any of our sins. Satan tries to show God as somebody who's going to spoil the fun, every tree, and then what's Eve end up doing? Yeah, he said we couldn't eat of the trees here. Uh, and he said we could not touch it. Did God say that they couldn't touch it? We don't have any recorded word that God said that. What did Eve probably most likely do? She added, she was empathizing. She was empathizing with the devil. She's empathizing with the snake. Oh, I think you're right. Yeah, God said we couldn't eat that. And I think he even said we can't touch it. If you're not careful, you will find yourself empathizing with the devil when he would love to destroy you with the sin he would put in your heart. We need to take a stand against this liar. And that's the next thing. I want you to see this. We don't call this out like it is. The devil's a liar. He's a liar. Look at verse 4. You will certainly not die, the serpent said to the woman. God knows that when you eat from your eye, eat it, your eyes will be open. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And so when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. What did the devil tell Eve? Oh, you won't die. God just trying to scare you. He's just putting a prohibition there. You won't die. What happened to Adam and Eve when they ate the fruit? devil is a liar you can take it to the bank every single time now did he mix a little truth in there would they know good and evil yeah 
They did come to know good and evil. And that's how the devil works. Let me get a little bit of truth in here, but the bottom line is it's a lie. Yeah, you don't really need to be part of a community of church to really love Jesus. You'll be okay by yourself. Yeah, just watch a couple Christian videos or podcasts, listen to some music once in a while. It'll be good. Think the devil tells that lie to anybody today? He's telling it to thousands of people. And they're getting farther and farther away from Christian community so the devil can attack them and take them out. I don't know what your temptation is today, but think about that this morning. The devil will do the same thing with whatever your temptation is. It's not that bad. It's really not going to have that many consequences. And besides, it gives you such a pleasure right now, doesn't it? It'll be okay. Did God really say? Please, hear us today. The devil is a liar. I don't go into great detail here, but you know the way that he works, right? The tree was good for food. Was the tree good for food? Sure. But it was the wrong tree and it was disobeying the Lord. Lust of the flesh kicked in. The tree was pleasant to the eyes. Well, there's no harm in looking. Hello. And then the tree desired to make one wise, the pride of life. Wait until I impress Adam with my newfound knowledge. I'll get some and I'll share with him. And oh, this is going to be incredible. Again, the devil is a liar. 1 John 2, 16, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Hear me this morning. What lies is the devil telling to you? What lies is the devil telling you? I know what he's telling some of the people around me. One of the lies he's saying is hell is not real. He's saying wrath is not nearly as bad as you think it's going to be, and God really isn't going to destroy the wicked, and people that reject the gift of the Son. That, that, that's all what preachers and churches say, but none of that's going to come. That's the, that's the lie. That's the lie the devil's telling. Again, just love is coming, no judgment. That's the lie. What lie is the devil telling you today? Please pay attention to what the Lord is trying to teach you. So we see some immediate consequences in verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together. They made coverings for themselves. The man and the wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. Did they get the knowledge of good and evil? The devil told that part, right, didn't he? Unfortunately, now they know they are evil. And I want you to think about this with me for just a second. Adam and Eve had the joy of walking with the Lord in the garden on a daily basis. I'm going to tell you, there is no better experience than that. Any of you like to go hiking? I know some of you not so much. <laughs> I know a couple of people up there like to. What would it be to go hiking with the person who made the trail, who made the tree, who made the pond, who made the mountain, who made the snow, who made the beach. That's who you're hiking with. Oh, Adam, I remember when I was thinking about this, this is how I put this together. <laughs> Could you imagine the fellowship and the sweetness of being able to walk with the Creator? Again, see how terrible sin is. One wrong choice, it ended all of that relationship. Where are you, Adam? Adam? Did God know where Adam was? You better believe he knew, didn't he, right? What was Adam doing? He was hiding. 
he was trying to get out of the, the way of God. We are trying so hard to push things away, but when you enter the presence of the holy God, all of a sudden your shame is immediately evident. What did they do right away? They tried to cover up, didn't they? That's what we've kind of been doing ever since the beginning, right? Isn't it funny how a world that doesn't believe in sin is still often trying to cover it up? <laughs> Even a little child oftentimes will try to disobey in the dark. You know what I'm talking about? They know shame and they know guilt. And so even then, they're going to go try to do the wrong thing in a way that, that nobody will see. They ran from God. They tried to hide from God. Of course, we know it's ridiculous, and yet we still do it all the time. You cannot hide from God. Our sins will find us out. A perfect relationship lived in paradise. They had a perfect relationship with each other. They had everything, and they lost it with one mistake, and that's how terrible sin is. Look down at verse 11. We'll see the blame game. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, what? The devil made me do it, right? The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Another common thing we see today with sin is this. It's not my fault. Any of you play that game? You guys play that game at work? We do that game a lot at work. What's, well, it's not working. Must be the network. That's Ben's problem. <laughs> right? What's not working? Oh, it's not my, my system. I've checked all my things. That's got to be on the other provider. Amazon must be down today. It's not my fault. And you guys, it's so interesting to me that that is intrinsic to who we are, isn't it? As sinners. It's not my fault. We live in such an entitled day-to-day, -day, people will not own their sin. And that's something we've had from the very beginning. We must take responsibility for our sin, make amends for our mistakes. Ultimate result of all this is what? It is death. Again, you guys hang with me. We're starting to wrap this where it's going to make sense to you, I believe. God is holy. God demands perfection or payment. We are sinners. The end result of our sin is what? It is death. Again, I'm not making this stuff up. This is right from the word of God. Romans 5, 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. Because of Adam's sin, death comes into the world. Hear me out this morning. Pain, suffering, crying, murder, lying, stealing, all these things will follow. And it's interesting to me, in a world that will try to deny sin, they won't deny pain, they won't deny suffering or crying or even death. We need a wake-up call, and it only comes through seeing a holy God and the most incredible gift, which is his son, Jesus Christ. And because of all this, we desperately need a Savior. All right, God is holy. God demands perfection or payment. We are sinful. We're headed for death. And yet, in all of this, God, in his mercy, made a way out, didn't he? He could have chosen a thousand other ways to redeem us, but he chose to give us his son. So here's where I wanted to, to wrap this up this morning. Hopefully, we can make you make sense as you head out of the church today. What can you and I do to get a better picture of God? That's the question you need to answer for yourself. This week, what can you do to get a better picture of God?
Moses went up the mountain. He spent some time alone with the Lord, right? He probably got away from some distractions until the people were distractions. We have got to do a better job of getting a clearer picture of God. What do we need to do to be in his presence? What do we need to do to help others see the Lord high and lift it up? We are all facing temptation. If we're going to beat temptation this week, a few quick things. You better know the scriptures, right? The devil tried to use God's word against Eve. He did use God's word against Eve and was successful. He tried to use it against Jesus, and of course, Jesus struck him down. We need to pray when we face temptation, and we need to stop trying facing things alone. I hope you'll hear me out today, too, and this is where the Lord kind of convicted me as well. I'm not sharing with you a message today on sin so that you can go and look around, watch your news, and to get angry at everybody else about their sins. Today is a message to you to try to get a better picture of God. F.B. Meyer wrote this one time. That was really good. He says, I believe F.B. Meyer, who once said that when we see a brother or sister in sin, there are two things we do not know. First, we do not know how hard he or she tried not to sin. And second, we do not know the power of the forces that assailed him or her. We also do not know what we would have done in the same circumstances. So we need to be gracious even as we fight against this idea of sin. Okay, super simple. Here we go. First thing, sin is horrible. It is offensive. It separates us from our creator. It ultimately will bring about the, the evidence of the curse and death. But the great news is this this morning. You know it. and You've heard it so much that you're almost callous to it. Jesus defeated sin, and he destroyed death. His blood covers our sins and delivers his righteousness so that we can be right with God. And this is the gospel. So what will you do with it? Here's what I want you to think about, and I want you to pray about as you go out of this place today. Is how can I get a clearer picture of God? The closer you get to God, the more evident of the areas of your life that need to be corrected and fixed and put where they need to be. And the further you are away and the more you let distractions in your life, the more you can just go on with all the sins you already have. So I want you to be thinking about that this day. And in prayer, I want you to be offering that to the Lord this day. Lord, how can I get a better picture of you? It may be a different amount of prayer time. It may be a different uh, Bible study time. It may be opting into a service where the Lord's going to show himself in the service to you. It may be just being more frequently being part of your church community. The Lord wants you to get a better picture of him so that these things will ring true in your life and that you'll do the things that really matter. Let's stand this morning. Thank you for your patience with the preacher today, and I hope that you will not hear me, but hear the words of the Lord. Uh, sin is absolutely real, and there is a trespassing against a holy God, and there is a judgment and a wrath coming for people who reject Jesus. Those are not my words. Those are the words of the Lord through his holy scripture, and we probably need to speak them more often. But again, let the Lord speak to you today and challenge you about those things. Let's just take a moment, and we're going to go Lord in prayer, and then Ray can lead us in a song. But again, if you would, with your preacher this morning, would you offer yourself up to the Lord? Say, Lord, give me a clearer picture of you. Help me to see you more clearly that I can be what you need me to be. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we're inadequate in so many ways, and, and to really to speak of your holiness is, is not easy, Lord. It is so much easier if we can experience it. Lord, we, would, we really have a fear and trepidation. I think overall we, we don't necessarily even want to experience it because we know what it means. And yet, Lord, within our hearts that you've changed is this cry that we would be clean, that we would be pure, and that we'd be all that you called us to be. So, Lord, we ask you to give us wisdom so that we could see you more clearly. Lord, pray for our church today. Lord, in the way that we worship, in the way that we teach, in the way we serve, Lord, let us lift you up. Lord, let us hold the whole counsel of God forth, that people would know the love and the benevolence and the grace and the mercy, but Lord, they would also know of judgment and justice and wrath and hell. Lord, let us speak clearly truth that you would be magnified. And Lord, that many, many people would be redeemed. Lord, open our eyes and draw us to your side and make us useful for your glory and your kingdom. And it's in Jesus' precious name we pray.